I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiber Fueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant You, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing, we're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. I, I can say today, there's never a second of any day that I am obsessed with uh, what is going on my plate um, or how much I'm exercising or what I'm, what I'm putting in. It's complete, it's complete joy. It's complete freedom. It's complete love. Yeah. And I do, I do feel like I owe that to a plant-based diet. I, 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 I got a lot better obviously and, and healed and I was eating animals, but um I still didn't have any kind of relationship with fueling myself and, and how foods made me feel and what it meant to eat certain foods. It was just, we, we were just, uh, it was just kind of more mechanical. My husband and I would go out to eat six nights a week. It was just like, yeah, just food, whatever. And now it's just like this, it's just a whole experience of, of freedom and, yeah. and if fulfillment and joy, and it's, really, really, it's really cool. So it's, I, it's, it's definitely the exact opposite of where I was before. Season three of the Plant Strong podcast explores those Galileo moments where you seek to understand the real truth around your health and dare to see the world through a different lens. This season, we honor those courageous seekers who are paving the way for you and me. So grab your telescope, point it towards your future, and let's get Plant Strong together. Hey, everybody. I'm Rip Esselstyn. I want to welcome you to the Plant Strong podcast. I really hope your summer is off to a grand start, and you are eating up that watermelon, those cherries, strawberries, berries, peaches, nectarines, and uh, you're just lapping it all up. You're fit, you're healthy, and you're happy. I want to share with you today a comeback story that is really phenomenal. And who 
Who doesn't love a great comeback story? Today, I'm going to bring you the ultimate redemption story of USA Olympic medalist Dotsie Bausch. In fact, I can't even think of a better way to head into the July 4th weekend than with a inspiring, uplifting story of survival and triumph from one of USA's finest. And I am so pumped up right now because we got the Olympic trials going on with the swimming and the track and field and the Paralympics. And it is just getting me so excited for Tokyo that's just right around the corner. And the story, uh, I should say the conversation that I have today is how Dotsie and her track cycling teammates won the silver medal in the 2012 London Games, which all by itself is incredible. And in fact, this was highlighted in the Game Changers documentary, which I'm sure most of you have seen. But when you hear Dotsie's story and you understand what it took for her to get there, I think you're going to be even more blown away. For years, she battled a debilitating eating disorder, which left her on the brink of literally losing her life. Her recovery that we talk about is nothing short of remarkable, and so is her new mission in life, which is to save the lives of others as executive director and the tireless advocate at the Switch for Good uh, nonprofit organization and podcast that she started specifically to tackle the status quo notion that we need cow's milk for health and performance, a bill of goods that she was sold on for years as an elite level athlete and a bill of goods that literally millions and millions of Americans have been sold on as well. I think you're going to love hearing about her underdog triumph at the Olympics because it also is how she is approaching her work now. And she may be an underdog against some of the big, powerful, well-financed organizations that are out there, but I have little doubt that she'll stand on the podium once again with pride, knowing that she has saved the lives of millions of children, animals, and our planet. You, you have had quite an amazing life. And uh, I want to talk about your journey today, uh, being an athlete, being a plant-based advocate, somebody who has also battled addictions, right? And, and come, through, yeah. come through that in an amazing way. But I think for starters, if you could share with our audience, I'd love, I'd love to start with your medal, right? So you won a silver medal in 2012 in London. What was that journey like for you? Meaning you, you were an eight-time U.S. national champion. You were a two-time Pan Am gold medalist. Did you go to the 2008 Olympic Games? No. Okay. No, I was on the long team, but I didn't make the final team. Okay. Okay. Uh, so this is something you wanted bad, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I did. I mean, I started out cycling very late, not not until t uh, the age of 26 after healing from anorexia. And it was really, I really started cycling just as a, like a vehicle for 
part recovery and just part like love of now living out in California and the sun in my face and the, you know, and the wind and, and the, and the beautiful scenery that we have here and just continuing my freedom journey from uh, being in, in the confines of an eating disorder for so long. So it was really kind of, it was a bit by mistake that I started, <laughs> I started cycling. So the journey to the Olympics was 12 years and it was, uh, as you can imagine, everyone's journey with really anything they do, just yeah. wrought with uh, incredible highs and so many more lows. But as I uh, traversed that journey, I, I for 10 years, I spent uh, right, racing professionally on the road. So, you know, Tour de France type of, of stage racing. So when I switched over to the track, I, I which is where I eventually won my Olympic medal in, uh, I, I switched over just out of um, curiosity, really, mm-hmm. and because I was scared of the track and I like to tackle things that I'm I'm scared of, and uh, moved over to the track and it really kind of uncovered where my the my most talent was, which is kind of that intermediate distance, right? We were using a combination of of uh, aerobic and anaerobic effort, so oxygen and without oxygen. So as I as I as I started to race individual pursuit and then team pursuit, I just I fell madly madly in love with it. And in 2009, they put women's team pursuit into the Olympics, right? So of course it had been in the Olympic Games for 20 years for the men, but they just they just had put in it in uh, you know slated it in for the 2012 Olympics. So that's when that's the moment that 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 dream came alive for me. About three about two and a half three years out from Olympic Games. Yeah. So you spent you spent a lot of years slogging away uh, on the bike doing the uh, the whole you know uh, professional cy- uh, road cycling. That is such a grind. I can't even even <laughs> it imagine. Is. Ugh, ugh. It is lot suffering. Um, so you got eight U.S. national championships. What were those in? Was that an individual time trial or what was that in? Um, uh, no road racing. Um, and then on the track in the individual pursuit, I won nationals in the track seven weeks after I tried the track. So that was a, like a bit of an indicator wow. the, 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 the best in the, the best in the world at the time and the most decorated us, uh, track cycling female, Sarah hammer, who ended up being my, my teammate in, in, in 2012, that we won the silver with, she was injured. So she and her husband kind of took me under their wing and, you know, I said, I want to give this, a, I want to give this a shot. I had just won some of the biggest uh, prologues uh, in Australia, New Zealand in early season against all the best Europeans, which is a, a shorter time trial, right? So kind of that intermediate uh, distance. And so my coach suggested, you know, maybe, maybe call Sarah and Andy and see what, what might unfold in the individual pursuit. Cause that's where you have a lot of um, you just have a lot of raw talent in, in that, in that, in that distance. So I was lucky enough that she was injured because um, I would not have won nationals that year. She wasn't, but uh, it was, um, it, it came down to the wire that the girls that I went against for nationals. And, and so that was, uh, that was, that was the beginning of it was, you know, like, Oh my gosh, you know, and I was like, I was so not aerodynamic. I looked like I was holding a beach ball yeah. on the bike. It was an aluminum bike that Andy had let me, I mean, it was all kinds of wrong. If you saw the <laughs> pictures from back then, but um, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of desire, a lot of heart, a lot of, yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of lactic acid running through, but. And a lot of, and a lot of plants flowing through your body. <laughs> not yet. Not, not, okay, not, not yet. Oh. I know. Imagine what, not yet. Almost very, very close to that, that unfolding. Um, it, that unfolded, 
uh, gosh, about a year and a half later, the the realization, and I got the memo, like, oh, hello. Uh, yeah. What year? What year did you get that so memo? I, so it was about, it was like early 2010. Okay. Yeah. Like, like yeah, spring 2010. So well, summer that- 2000. It was about two a little, it was over a little over two years before right. the Olympic Games. So, yeah, right. I want to, I, I, I definitely want to dive into that. But, before, <laughs> but first, was there much drug use as far as you knew when you were cycling? Uh, it, well, yeah, but certainly with the men, you know, so, so the, so men's cycling in, uh, in Europe, I mean, Europe is where it's a, you know, a very hot, uh, popular sport, right? Not, not as much here. Uh, and so the men, I mean, you know, the, the men are making big bucks, you know, they're, they're, they're able to, you know, take care of their whole family for their lifetime if they do it right. So I think you just find when there's, you know, there's a lot of money on the line, you know, you start seeing cheating on the line because you're, you know, you're just trying to get that 1% better. So we knew it was going on in the men. Uh, the women were never making that kind of dough to, 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 to take what I would say would be called all those risks that you take um, when you, when you, when you blood dope or you use steroids. Uh, it was, it was definitely, uh, a lot of the Eastern Bloc was getting busted in the, in the women. So yes, but it was never something in the U S team that was ever even discussed. I mean, no, nobody ever approached me to do, to do yeah. drugs. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was in and around, uh, but nothing like as prevalent as it was for the men. Mm-hmm. So you got the memo in 2000, and, <laughs> right. <laughs> that, Hey, there's. Now, what memo did you get? How did this memo arrive on your desk? The memo arrived in the form of uh, what's going on behind closed doors in animal agriculture and the shock and horror of what, first of all, what is this? This has to be an isolated incident, right? The, 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 our, at least in America, it was very Americana about it. Like, I mean, our government protects and serves its people over here, and that must include our food sources. This can't be real. This must be going on in some other country. This is, you know, so just a, there was a curiosity of, of horror that was born, really, where it was just like, okay, I was actually at a race in Minnesota, a stage race, because um, I was doing track and road like that first year of the track, I was, I was still doing both. And I, I had, I had taken a position as kind of a mentor on a Kiwi team and we were at a race in Minnesota and it's where I saw it. And so I, I saw it and I was like, okay, I, I, I got to finish this race, but I'm not going to eat any animals until I can get home and prove to myself that this is just, you know, an isolated incident. Really. Like this just goes on like very little sometimes. So I didn't eat any meat for the rest of that race, which was, I think we had three, four days to go in the stage race and like cleaned it out of the refrigerator in our host house. My teammates were like, oh my God, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just have to, I have to stop until I can find out the truth. And then went home, went down the rabbit hole. and was like, Holy mother. So it just was kind of an overnight thing. The eggs and the dairy weren't like, you know, you'd go down, you know, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. So that's that, that journey took some, some weeks there for sure. But the meat was, was overnight. And, and it stayed that way when I went home and did more research. And, you know, I didn't know anything about, you know, it's it, it, even as an athlete, I mean, this was, you know, whatever, 12, 13 years ago. And it's it, shockingly enough, even back then, it, I wasn't super hyper-focused on my diet for performance, really. 
Like, not like we've been talking about the last five years. I mean, of course, with plants, it's just, you know, it's just a whole nother level, but just even generally speaking, like I always made sure I got my recovery shaken after. I don't even know. I mean, it was just, I was using whey protein, all the nasty shit, but um, I was just eating. I was just eating a lot and good calories. What I thought were good calories at the time. I believed all the myths uh, that we believed as athletes back in the day. Uh, and the U S Olympic committee was, you know, not shy about telling us that dairy was really the only way to truly recover as an athlete, because that's their title sponsor. So I, I believed all those myths and, you know, I grew up that way. And, and for 35 years of my life, there was always an animal on my plate, uh, at breakfast, lunch, yeah. and dinner. Yeah. Well, and you grew up, uh, as you said, in the documentary in Kentucky where, I mean, mm-hmm. casseroles, barbecue and meat were an everyday occurrence, right? For sure. Yeah. And I mean, also just in the, in the eighties and late seventies, early eighties, where it was, I mean, you look back and it was like boiled hot dogs, Kraft macaroni and cheese, like iceberg lettuce and ranch dressing. I mean, that was a pretty typical dinner and, 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 you know, but mom homemade that, you know, she was, she was a, she was a wonderful homemaker and a wonderful mom. And that was like pretty good food and healthy. And like, that's the, that's what your taste buds, that's what my taste buds grew up on. Well, you know, you bring up a point. It's amazing when I look back on it. And and I was always very conscientious about what I was putting in my body as a professional triathlete for a decade, starting in 1987. But I looked around me and most of these athletes, they didn't care. They just were like, hey, if the engine burns hot enough, it doesn't matter what we're throwing in, right? Just as long as we can get our our workouts and we're good. Like it's just fuel. That's it. Like we're just like, yeah. Yeah. Just, not what type of fuel, just fuel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're right. It's amazing. I think how far we've come. Yeah. Since, since 2008, 2009, 10 and yeah. in the last decade now. So you're, you're into this and you're just doing it. You're, did, did you like reach out for a coach or somebody that knew something about this or you're just figuring it out on your own? I don't know that anyone knew anything about it really. I mean, I, I don't, you know, but obviously I know now, kind of that Brendan Brazier was doing some stuff and Robert Cheek. And I mean, obviously you were, but I didn't know about you yet. And I didn't know about them. So it was, it was weird where it was, and there wasn't, there wasn't Instagram. I mean, I, I wasn't on, I wasn't on it till after Olympics. I remember getting, so I didn't, it was kind of like, it felt like this, this, this like strange secret world I was living in. It was just this, you know, and obviously I probably could have sought out further and found people, but I didn't, I didn't find it all that hard to mm-hmm. transition. So I guess because I wasn't running up, up against, uh, things that were like a, a lot of blockades and a lot of things that were, I, I was feel, I was feeling great immediately f- from it. I, I figured out, I figured out very quickly that it was more volume because it's not cal- as calorically dense of food. So I wasn't, um, I wasn't struggling. So that's probably why I wasn't really reaching out for, for more answers. I just kind of, you know, it was like, here's the, here's the flavor. I've always really liked, I like bitter and I like vegetables and I always lean towards those. I, I, I did, I just, so, so that was lucky. Cause I just liked that food along with, you know, bacon and sausage, but I was all, I was always eating a lot of the other stuff too, a lot of plant food. So it just was like, Oh, okay. So that stuff's going to go out, figured out how to get the macronutrients in there very quickly after that figured out it's the micronutrients that really matter because that's what was really giving me that, that, that energy and that better blood flow and that good cell function and that waking up with energy and the recovery and everything. So yeah, it was, um, so now I'm not very nice to people who are transitioning. They're trying to tell me it's hard in freaking 2021. 
I'm an asshole. I have to get nicer because it's like, what is the problem? Like, how, how are you not like diving right into this? It's, 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 it's um, yeah, I'm trying to. You know, there are so many resources that are available. Yeah. Now. yeah. Were available a decade ago. And for all of our listeners, when, uh, when Dotsy says micronutrients, what she's talking about are kind of the vitamins, the minerals, the phytonutrients, the fiber, mm-hmm. and all these things that really don't have calories, but they are essential to taking your health to the next level. We'll return to Dotsy in a moment, but first I'd love to read an email that I received from a gentleman named Matthew Dowd, and he writes, Hey Rip, a routine doctor's appointment in January 2020 led me to finding out that I had elevated cholesterol numbers. I became familiar with you and your family's work as a longtime friend of John Stewart. I actually interned at The Daily Show in the summer of 2014. It's still a highlight in my life. My stats since going plan strong are as follows. My total cholesterol has dropped 99 points from a high of 227 to 128. My LDL has dropped from a high of 154 to 62. Triglycerides and HDL were both non-issues in previous tests and remain at a healthy level. Just wanted to say thank you. I think I'm slowly influencing some family members to make changes, even if they are small and simple. Matthew Dowd, Kansas City. Way to go, Matthew. And I think it was super smart of you to follow the advice of John Stewart. And I wish that we had about 300 million more Americans that would do the same thing. But it's emails like these that really get me fired up. Um, And in fact, you know what else gets me fired up? the 10th anniversary of plant stock. This year's event is gonna celebrate the dawn of what I like to call the plant strong era, because we really are standing on the precipice of a a new day at a time when the tipping point for plant-based lifestyles is fast approaching. We are in a zeitgeist. And for the past 10 years, we have been hosting our annual end of the summer event to showcase the luminaries, the, as we call them, Brock stars of the movement. This special event is called Plan Stock. And when it began, those of you who have been in our community a long time already know this, it was hosted under a big white tent at the Esselstyn family farm in upstate New York, just a short drive from the original location of, of Woodstock and hence the name. But since that time, We've hosted nine years of gatherings for people who are either brand new or well-seasoned veterans to the plant-based lifestyle. And we showcase the science, we celebrate the foods that allow us to live our best, most vibrant lives. And we connect with the greater community because community is one of our core values. This year's event will again be virtual allowing us to reach as many people as possible with the fantastic news about plants. We'll be broadcasting from the farm and spend a weekend learning, laughing, and cooking with all of you. Featured speakers include my family, Anne, Essie, Jane, Brian. We have Dr. Michael Greger, Michael Clapper, Doug Evans, the Sprout Guy, Doctors Dean and Aisha Scherzai, Cyrus Kambata and Robbie Barbero with Mastering Diabetes, Dr. Christy Funk, uh, who wrote 
Bress, the owner's manual. We have T. Colin Campbell and many, many others. So please save the dates, September 8th to September 12th, 2021. And I am so psyched to announce in honor of our 10th anniversary, the first thousand people who register are going to get access to the full event for just $10 in honor of the 10th anniversary. So visit plantstrong.com slash plantstock today for all the details and to sign up. Now, let's get back to the remarkable Dotsie Bausch. So you mentioned at, I think, 26, you said that you were going through some stuff with um, eating disorder. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I was very sick from uh, about 20 to 25. So 26 is when I started cycling. 26, I was, uh, I had been working uh, on healing for a good, good couple of years and was coming, was coming out the other end, was, was, was coming out healthy, was able to integrate into life again and work and have friends and just, you know, be in, be in, be in my body and, and then be in my life. And so my, my therapist is the one, she said, you know, I just want you to, I want you to pick something now to be able to move your body in a healthy way. Again, I definitely had an addiction to like overexercise, which is a part of about 40% of anorexics, uh, you know, it's it, it, illness, I should say. What did that over um, thing look like? Back? It was gym stuff for me. I would go to the gym and just camp out for seven, eight hours. And it was, uh, it was the treadmill. It was the elliptical. It was the Stairmaster. And I'd just go back and forth with all three of them in different and, and how did intervals. That, and how did that um, begin? Was it just, was it a body image thing or, or what? No, um, for me, it, it began uh, as a way to usurp control over my life. I had graduated college and it's my dog. Sorry about that. Uh, um, and I was feeling uh, very full of self-loathing. I was feeling very kind of fish out of water, very confused about my direction and what I was going to do. And it, it really started sort of innocently and, and kind of slowly in the beginning where I just started controlling my food intake because that made me feel, it made me feel powerful. It made me feel like I had um, control and in, in, in some way, shape and form, it's hard to control your food, especially, you know, the, 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 the intake, if it's too low. Um, and then I started experiencing a high off of it's a euphoria when you starve yourself, uh, you know, and everyone will tell you that who, who has, who has gone down that. And so hey. I was, yeah, I was doing drugs and I was got really, really, you know, really sick with anorexia and it just, it, it completely spun out of control. Uh, obviously. And, and I, I remember feeling I was living in New York at the time I had left Philadelphia where I went to college and had moved to New York. And I, I remember feeling like I wanted to get so small that I would disappear and no one would notice me anymore. It was, it was Mm -hmm. definitely, it was kind of the opposite of some anorexics will say, you know, it was, it was trying to be noticed, someone noticing that something's going on with you. And I had like the opposite, like I didn't want anyone to see me anymore. How small did you get? Under hundred pounds. I'm five, nine. Uh-huh. It was, yeah. it, it got, it got quite ugly, um, in and out of treatment multiple times. And then, you know, when I finally had a reckoning, um, after two suicide attempts of, you know, I, 
I, I'm going to lose my life to this if I don't just at least try to get better. And as any, any, you know, struggling or in their, in the midst of eating disorder, especially anorexia, uh, will, will tell you that, um, there is no part of you that feels like this won't ever not be a part of your life. So they, they, they may, they, you go to treatment or you get a therapist and you go through healing and you truly believe that you will never actually be free of it. That will always be a part of your life, but maybe it could just get a little bit better. And that's, I believe that. And that's how I started, but um, I believe the exact opposite now. I, I, and there's, there are plenty of people that don't think that you can, that there's complete recovery similar to, you know, alcoholics, right? Like there, that's, you're not ever, hundred percent. If you have to be very, um, very present and very aware, obviously you can't be abstinent because you have to eat, but, um, it's, it's, I, I can say today, there's never a second of any day that I am obsessed with, uh, what is going on my plate, um, or how much I'm exercising or what I'm, what I'm putting in. It's complete, it's complete joy. It's complete freedom. It's complete love. Yeah. And I do, I do feel like I owe that to a plant-based diet. I, 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 I got a lot better obviously and, and healed and I was eating animals, but, um, I still didn't have any kind of relationship with fueling myself and, and how foods made me feel and what it meant to eat certain foods. It was just, we, we were just, uh, it was just kind of more mechanical. My husband and I would go out to eat six nights a week. It was just like, yeah, just food, whatever. And now it's just like this, it's just a whole experience of of freedom and, yeah. and if fulfillment and joy, and it's really, really, it's really cool. So it's, I, it's, it's definitely the exact opposite of where I was before. Wow. Well, thank, thanks for, for sharing that. Were you dating at all during the, that dark period? No, no, no. no when I was sick, I wasn't, I could, I really, it's, so it had, pretty bad foggy brain, which anorexics will, will speak about. And I, you know, just where you're not, I was down to like 175 calories a day. I got it down to that. Um, some get it down to zero and it, you, you know, you're just, your, your brain doesn't have the nutrients that it needs. We know our, our brain, uh, you know, yeah. runs off glycogen. It takes 25% of our body's energy to, to run. So it wasn't functioning. Um, I remember just being in my house. I couldn't work. I didn't have a life. I didn't have friends. I didn't have a boyfriend. And I just, uh, I remember being like, all right, you, you have to somehow grow in some way. So try and read. And I couldn't even really read. I would read the same page over and over and over again, trying to get it to, you know, come in and, and, and remember what it is. It was, um, yeah. Did somebody on your behalf say, that's a, you need to get help or was it? The oh yeah. I mean, Everyone. I mean, yeah. it was, I was like, well, I was like the walking dead and, and my family was especially my mom and dad. They were just, it was terrorizing them, but I was 20, 21, 22. So there wasn't any really anything they could do. I mean, I was living alone and, um, you know, I mean, I was an adult, so they didn't really have any control over that. If you would have like a 15 year old, right. That was going through something like this. So, um, my mom tried some interventions in Philadelphia. She flew in. Um, and it's, that was, I took her, she came in for an intervention. It didn't go well. I, she was not scheduled to leave until a few days later, but I drove her to the Philadelphia airport and tossed out my 110 pound mother onto the sidewalk. And she, um, bloodied her knee and her eyebrow. Um, I mean, 
that was one of the lowest points for me. Cause I, I, I mean, I assaulted my mother in, in, on the sidewalk, at the Philadelphia airport and drove off. That's how against, you know, getting better. I was at the time. Were your mother and father in that one scene in the game changers where after you win the silver medal, you go up and hug. Was that your yeah. mother? Yeah. Your That's mom and dad. Yeah. And, well, my husband, I mean, I think you see, I think it's like a big, yeah. that over the wall kissing yeah. scene. Cause for whatever freaking reason we couldn't get to them. It was like, why are we trapped in the, in the outside of the velodrome? We can't see our families after it was over. Well, yeah. I mean, as parents, I can't, Wow. I mean, what a turnaround. How amazing. You know, all those tears of joy, right? Wow. They had definitely had a lot. Yeah. 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 You know, when you're living it, it's, you know, it, 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 for for me, it wasn't, um, I I knew that it was a, it was an extraordinary journey to, to see my body transform, Mm. right. It taught me God, our bodies are resilient. I mean, to go from almost death's door to an Olympic medal, like it's, it's a, you know, and, and when I, I mentor young ladies, cause they're mostly ladies that are young, uh, through their eating disorder. Um, it's, it, you don't have any hope. And, and the one thing that I can say is, you know, if you can get on top of this and if you can do the work and if you want to do the work, mm. like you will completely repair, right. Our bodies are extraordinary. I mean, they're set up for survival. So that was amazing to me, but the, like the emotional and the mental aspect of it, I think I could see that, that joy, like you mentioned more in the eyes of my parents, like, cause they, when oh. someone you love is hurting, it's so much more intense than when you're hurting, like, mm. you know, I didn't have as many memories of, of that dotsy as they did. So it was really yeah. special to see them be able to experience that with the Olympics. Yeah. That's just such a, um, (laughs) uh, you drag yourself up from, uh, from the ashes. That's, that's spectacular. (laughs) And there was a documentary that was done. I haven't seen it called personal gold, right? Yes. That's where all the footage comes from in, in, in game changers is because they followed our team all the last three months. So we all lived in Spain together in Mallorca, Spain, uh, training and preparing for London for some of the obvious reasons of why we would want to be over in in Europe, you know, and not have a time difference when we went to, went to the Olympics, but just um, great training grounds, great road cycling, great track cycling there. So they, they followed our team for those three months. So that's, yeah, that it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not as good as the game changers, but it's, it's good. Yeah. Gold, does, does that go in into any of your history at all? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it goes into the three, the three girls' history. We all we all have pretty unique pasts, actually. Um, so yeah, it does a little bit. Yeah. Are you still pretty close with uh those teammates that you won the silver with? Very. Yeah, I just talked to Ginny uh two nights ago. It was her birthday. Wow. Um, just uh it's a magical bond that um I don't have any other relationships like exactly like that, you know, how you have the really unique relationships that are, that there's something, there's something that happened on the track in that semifinal ride that um, we would never have been able to, we'd never gone that fast before. And I don't think it was going to ever be repeatable again. It was like that moment in, in time that it stood still and it just happened in the right ride in the right moment at the Olympics on that day, which is the whole, you know, craziness of the Olympics, trying to hit it right on that one minute in that one day on that one uh, stage. Um, and, you know, if, if your game, I have never won a medal in the Olympics, but my father won a gold medal in 19 and crew, eight or a crew. 
And I've heard him tell the story how, you know, they had to come back in the repertoire and win that heat and then go yeah. into the finals where they uh, were really the underdogs, right? Yes. And, and they pulled it out and him telling that story. Would, would you share with us like as, as much or as little as you want about that experience going in as the underdogs and then you guys actually, you know, winning the silver? Yeah. That's, that's yeah. quite a story. Well, crew is somewhat similar to cycling in terms of like, it's like the, you know, the big European teams that are the demigods of the sport, right? Like it was, it was, it's, it's, it's Great Britain um, and, and, and Germany and Australia and New Zealand. And, and they, they're, you know, they're just wild for track cycling, you know, the British won the gold and those, those girls are like recognized on the street over there. Like it's a whole nother, it's a whole nother stratosphere. It's like our baseball, you know? So um, to say that we were the underdogs is just a, it's a, it's a, even just a wild understatement. I mean, the, okay. the bookies had us like fifth at best case scenario in London. You know, we really, we had never beaten their A teams. We'd never beaten uh, Great Britain's A team or Australia's A team ever in world championships, world cups, and nothing. So it, we were, we were definite, definite underdogs, but you know, we came to the Olympics by two teammates, uh, Sarah and Jenny, Sarah had been to two Olympic games and Jenny had been to one. So they, they were, they did a great job in sort of preparing me for what the, just the mental and emotional experience that an Olympics games is. And I, I, you know, I knew it was going to be intense. I had trained my mind with my sports psychologist for, 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 for a couple of years, we worked really, really hard on basically just kind of the concept of, um, bringing down the magnitude of the event. Cause I, you know, that, that I think is what trips up, you know, the multi-time world champion, they get to Olympic games and it really is as big of a magnitude as you imagine it might be. It's, it's like, holy, I mean, it's what we are here. So just kind of bringing it down and remembering that you are going to do exactly what you've been trained to do for years. Like they're, it's not going to be a surprise. They're not going to get up to the blocks and they say, Hey, you know what? You're going to compete in gymnastics today. So, you know, let's take you, no, you're going to do what you know how to do, what you've been trained to do, what you've been, you've been processing, what you've been working on. So was in a good, really good headspace going there and was able to really kind of soak up that, that Olympic experience. Cause I was, you know, just a few months shy of my 40th. So I knew I wasn't going to be back probably. Like I knew that this was it. So I really wanted to, to, um, you know, be there and be in my body. Yeah. Uh, I want you to continue, but before you do, yeah, you said you were a few months shy of your 40th birthday. And I think I heard in the documentary that made you the oldest male or female yeah. Cyclist to win a medal. Is that right? To even, even compete in my discipline. Like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, and, and, you know, people are starting to get the memo and they're going to eat plants and someone's going to stand there 50 years old in 10 years, right. On the metal stand, like, cause they're on a plant-based diet. In fact, the British team just took on a plant-based, uh, their first plant-based sponsor. It's wow. kind of like a garden type of a sponsor over there. Anyway. So, but, uh, you were in the they, right, in the right mental space. Yeah. 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 And so that, I mean, it's, it, it's, it was three rides to the gold medal. It's three rides. To, so, you know, so you have qualifying the, the first day and then you have semis and the finals, if you make it the, the next day qualifying, we, we ended up qualifying second uh, to the Brits. So that was, and it was tightly packed the four countries under the British. I mean, by, by just 
marginal tenths of a second. So did you think you'd qualify second or was that like, wow, that was no, amazing? I mean, the dream is to qualify second or third because in semis, f- first rides against fourth, second rides against third, fifth rides against eighth, sixth rides against seventh to, to then go. So it, the dream is to qualify second or third or, yeah. or first. I mean, right, but I, yeah, but then you're going to ride against somebody that's more closely matched. The time, is it the time then, as opposed to. So the qualifying is all based on time and then you're seated. And then, and then the next is no, it's beating the other team. And that's where the, that's where the beauty of team pursuit comes in. Cause you're literally in pursuit of the other team on the track. So then you're just riding head to head. So the next day was the semifinal ride. Australia qualified third. We rode against Australia. Uh, young, young, talented team. These ladies are 21, 22, 23. Um, you know, literally born and bred for this. Yep. You know, what were selected out of their schools at five to, you know, go through the Australia Institute of Sport and become these stars. And I think the fact that we were, our team was older. I mean, I was definitely the oldest, but Sarah's 10 years younger than I am and Jenny's six. So we were older than they, they were. And I, I I think we just had a a bit, a bit more of a, um, just a, a little bit more of an awareness, a little bit more confidence, a little bit more of a calm about that semifinal ride. Like, you know, just, just, we knew what we had to bring and it was big and it was going to be something that we had never produced before ever. Uh, but we were, we just rode smarter. They came out super hot. And if you come out super hot in team pursuit, as some people know, our bikes are fixies, there's no brakes and you, you know, it's, it's one gear. So in order to get up to speed in that gear. It's a massive lift off of the blocks, 800, 900 Watts to even get off the blocks. And then you are in a big ass gear. We rode 102 inch gears for the the track techies out there at the Olympics. They're riding like 106 inch gears now. Um, And so if you go out too hot, it's not, you can't shift later, you know, on the road, you're just triathlon for years. You, you, you shift, flush it out, come back on top of the gear. There's no, you can't do that. So you are just, Eft if you go out too hot, like that's all there is to it. And that's what the Aussies did. I think they kind of came out too hot for a couple of reasons. One could potentially have been a little bit of nerves, but two, I think uh, they were trying to put us in the hot seat and put it, put us on the defensive and it worked because we were down 1.6 seconds with about four laps to go. No one's ever come back in Olympic history in team pursuit from that deficit ever. It's, it's, it's forever. You know, it's almost, it's, it's almost two seconds. Like it's a really long time. unheard of it's totally unheard of I and mean, it's really it's a lot of time but um we beat the aussies on the line by eight one hundredths of a second that took us in the gold medal it was close it was very tight it's a great video like it's just it looks obviously like we you know crossed the line at the same time but <laughs> anybody that wants to see it go to the the game changers on netflix for sure and so yeah so okay so you, you got the silver and <laughs> were you guys just like Holy. Yes. Yeah, for sure. It was like, what the just happened? I mean, that was the semis, right? So then we had to, we went to the gold medal match and we, we lost, right. We lost to the Brits. So, you know, this, they've always said that the, the, the saddest people at the Olympics are the silver medalists because you lost your final, whereas the bronze medalists won their final. right? Right. So, but it was a whole nother story for us. I mean, it is, it, it was, it, we were, 
I remember being on a high for just many, many, many days and, and weeks. I mean, it was, it was just, it was something that we'd never produced before. And I, like I said, I don't think we would have ever again. And we knew that we knew what we brought that day. And it was, it was the very best that we had. And when you just deliver your very best, I mean, it, 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 at the end, it just doesn't super matter what color the metal is, or if there's even a metal, right? Like we laid down something completely unprecedented from the American team. Right. So, yeah. Well, you did the right time in the right place and, and in exchange, you got a silver medal. How do you, how do you feel like that medal has changed your life? Well, I'm really most grateful for it um, to be able to, to save lives, right? Like it's now, now we're, we're in a, in a space where it's, it's actually intriguing to people to hear about athletes eating plants. You know, I, I mean, so it really now it's just, I find it to be, I mean, obviously it was a, an extraordinary personal experience that I'm, I'm proud of, but the Olympics also come and go and now it's history. And, you know, like your dad knows, it's a lot of, it's history, way history and, and it, it, you know, life goes on and there's, and there's, you know, so it, now it's just this, I look at the metal and it's just like this, this enormous vehicle to save lives. And that's because I feel like that's why I was put on planet earth. And I, I didn't recognize that for, you know, till maybe age 40, really that, 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 that that's what I was going to spend the rest of my life doing. So yeah. that's, um, that's what it right. means to me now. So you are now saving lives. In fact, uh, in 2018, Veg News named you one of the top 20 most influential vegans on the planet. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, but, Whatever that means. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we'll take it. We'll take it. You have you have the the switch for good nonprofit that you started. You also have the mm-hmm. podcast. Tell me about uh, the nonprofit and what that's about. Yeah, well, the, the the origin story of the nonprofit was not to build a nonprofit at all. Um, it was to um, kind of go up against the 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 longstanding belief that uh, athletes need cow's milk to repair and recover after having lived through so much inundation of cow's milk uh, at the training centers where I trained for years, uh, and this bizarre belief that I that I held to myself until the last couple of years when I like we talked about, got the memo. It's like, what the, what is going on? So in 2018, got together, I just had this idea, you know, you, we all know the milk commercials and then they, they go crazy during the Olympics because it's the U.S. Olympic Committee's title sponsor. And so I was watching Olympic trials in 2018 and was seeing a lot of milk commercials. And I just had this moment, like on the couch by myself, like somebody, somebody needs to do something about this. Like, how long are we going to let this lie live? I mean, when is, when are we going to say what the hell? And, and then I was like, I, I kind of thought, well, I guess I could say something because it doesn't seem like (laughs) specifically is about this one problem. So got together, um, some funders and Louie directed the commercial and one day and, um, in Los Angeles and, and we put this commercial with six, seven vegan Olympians saying, Hey, we don't need cow's milk to win medals from, they were from four different countries. So really diverse, uh, crew of Olympians. And, uh, it, it ran on the closing ceremonies in Washington, DC, and then the dairy industry kicked it off. Uh, so it didn't run on in the rest of the five markets that it was supposed to run. So they're able to kick it off. They have that power. Follow the money. Right. So they advertise with NBC more than we do, which was never until this moment. And so, 
you know, we'll, we'll never know the true story, but yeah, either the USOC or the dairy industry called NBC and said, you know, shut this down. We did get our money back. We, we ran it uh, the next week on ABC um, pre and post Oscars, but not the effect. Uh, so anyway, so that, that was, that was our origin story. And, and we realized shortly thereafter that there was just something here. There's something here that uh, no one was specifically doing in the movement, being talking about performance and animal foods. Um, and especially uh, the myth of dairy as it relates to food justice, as it relates to planetary responsibility, and as it relates to, you know, premium human performance, not just athletic performance, just all of us being our best every day. And so, uh, so the nonprofit got off the ground, off the ground. So we do a lot of, you know, behavior change work, but uh, mostly we're focused in the area of, um, in the areas of, of, of research and, and changing laws. And so we've got, um, uh, we were able to make big changes to diet, the new dietary guidelines that came out at the end of last year to get soy milk nutritionally equivalent to cow's milk in schools for children. And right. now we'll be pushing for the actual milk note to be changed to include soy milk and soy milk uh, in you know, available for, for children in school. So, so things like that around dairy. I mean, it's, you know, they have a big lobby and a whole lot of money, but um, yeah. you know, needs to be worked on. Yeah. Are you the executive director? Yes. Wonderful. And I love the name switch for good. You know, I love the double, double entendre on good switch for good, meaning forever or switch for good because it's a good thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Good. It's good. (laughs) And then you also have the switch for good podcast, you and uh, Alexandra Paul. How long have you had that going? Uh, Just, just two years, a little, I think it's a little, just a little over two years. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, she's, she's just an extraordinary human. I love you guys are amazing to do it by yourself, but I don't think I'd want to, I'm, I love having my buddy, you know, we just batting back and forth and, and in ideas for the show and then with the guests and yeah, it's no, listen, there's a lot of things. (laughs) No, there's lots of times when it's very lonely, right. Just being a, a one person show and you, you, it'd be nice to have, you know, a, a, a pot, a compadre there, you know, (laughs) you can, Take a breather. <laughs> yeah, no, it, right. Yeah, yeah. She thinks of things that I'm not thinking of to to traverse or ask or yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty well, cool. Yeah. So tell me this: you and I both love our troughs. I I mean, I've yeah. I've actually got the commercialized Rips Big Bowl cereal. That's my trough. When you refer to your trough, is that a breakfast, a lunch, a dinner, or what is that? I would say it's mostly like lunch or dinner because I just, I've never been that into food until I switched over to plants and just found the whole world very intriguing and and all new tantalizing flavors, but still, nonetheless, there's still the athlete in me that if, if I can't make something in 15 minutes, I'm just annoyed. And I like, I won't spend an hour in the kitchen making dinner. It's just not happening. So these layered trough bowls work for the taste buds and for the satiety and, you know, the, you know, the volume to, to, to have, have you be healthy and full. So usually they're just like they're layers and I kind of work them in, uh, what I'm in the, what my husband and I are in the mood for kind of ethnicities. Like you do when you go out, do we feel like Thai? Do we feel like Japanese? Do we feel like Italian? You know, that's what we do. And then we just boom, boom, boom. And it's like grains, greens, nuts, seeds, beans, whatever it's going to be. And like Italian night always has the field roast sausages on it. And we do do burger night. That is yeah. not a trough bowl. That's probably the only thing that's not layered. Um, but, yeah. uh, yeah, it's just an easy, fun, uh, satiating way to eat. I find. 
when I wrote my third book called The Engine 2 Seven-Day Rescue Diet, mm-hmm. the, the recipe section was all about building bowls. That's all it was, just bowls, yeah. right? No recipe, bowl building. And it's such a, a great, easy way to eat, especially like you said, if you're in a hurry, you don't want to spend an hour in the kitchen, but 15 minutes and the variety yeah. is just limitless. True. Yeah, I feel like it is too. Yeah, you almost can try something new, a little bit new almost every time. Oh, what if we throw this in there? This seed or this spice or it's just, yeah, it's cool. What are you, what are you doing these days for, uh, for you know, training, staying in shape? Are you, are you still into the bike? Yeah, well, not the track because I don't like to, or nor do I have the time to drive to ride, right? Because the track's up in Carson, the, the indoor track. Um, but uh, I'm really into mountain biking. Uh, it, it just, I just find it so freeing and there's no cars and it's very challenging, you know, and obviously my legs go round in circles well. So it's kind of like, I'm, I'm good at it, but I'm not as good at the part, the technical parts. Yeah. And I just feel it. Like I love seeing how I can improve in those areas and I can be found doing a spin class, you know, a couple yeah. times a week, which is just, I just love that. Like 50 minute, like pound it out, you know, my body does it well. And I just feel, get a great sweat and, you know, yeah. what? I love in the game changers when you were referring to how you, and you didn't know if you were going to survive and you started eating this way and you became a machine. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't it? You still, I still feel that way to some, I'm not nearly as fit, but um, it's, it's, I think it's a bit odd as I'm at 48 now. And, and, you know, a lot of people my age don't necessarily feel that great. And I literally feel absolutely freaking amazing every day. I mean, I just don't have, so I, and I'm, I'm starting to be aware that it's, that's going to be more and more rare, right? Like as people get into their fifties and, you know, it's like a lot of people have a lot of complaints about a lot of things going on in their body. And it's like, yeah, I think it's the plants. Yeah. You mentioned mountain biking, mountain biking. I've been doing that avidly since about 1997. I started doing extra wow. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I'm actually, as soon as we get off here, I'm going to go for a mountain bike. Um, but what, mm. I love, what I love so much about mountain biking, and you mentioned, you know, the skills and, but when you're mountain biking on those little single track trails and going up and down and over the roots and the rocks and when everything is, you gotta be a hundred percent dialed in. Yeah. So you can't be off daydreaming about, oh, what's the project I got to do. I got to do this. I got, so to me, it's such a great way to just like focus on what I'm doing singularly and not be, um, <laughs> worried about anything else. Yeah, I do. I know. I love that about it too. Cause it's, it's going to be gnarly on the mountain back. If you crash, like for sure, you guys do some, you're going to do some damage. So it's really, I find that too. It makes me hyper-focused and I don't just all the stuff just leaves, right? Like your, yep. your processing just, just dissipates and you're just there. You're just present. It's hard to be present yep. these days. Yeah. Well, Dotsie, this has been an absolute pleasure. I can't even tell you, you know, our mutual friend, Gene Stone mentioned he met you at a book club and was mentioning how wonderful you were. And I'm like, oh my God, I totally need to get Dotsie on the podcast. And I'm so glad that we made it happen. You are such a pioneer and so courageous. And your story of coming just back from the, the, the ashes to a silver medal and a life where you are making such incredible, you're saving so many lives across a broad, broad spectrum, human lives, animal lives, mm-hmm. planetary lives. I want to thank you for that. And I want to 
um, say how, how much I look forward to meeting you when the next time when I'm in LA. Awesome. Peace. Engine two. Yep. You get plan strong. Cool. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Dotsie and your team at Switch for Good. Love all the great work that you're doing. It is most definitely time to ditch the dairy and experience all the benefits that you're going to gain by doing so. You may not win an Olympic medal, but your body will think you can, and that is what it's all about. Feeling like a champ. Okay, everybody, have a wonderful and safe weekend, and if you're here in the United States, happy 4th of July, and enjoy a Plant Strong picnic. If you need some ideas for a summer grilling guide, you can grab our free summer grilling guide at the link on the episode page at plantstrongpodcast.com. Peace, Engine 2. Keep it plant strong. Thank you for listening to the Plant Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. Have you had your own Galileo moment that you'd like to share? What happened when you stepped into the arena and shed the beliefs that you thought to be true? I'd love to hear about it. Visit plantstrongpodcast.com to submit your story and to learn more about today's guests and sponsors. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn, Jr., and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.